Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. As it comes to Palm Sunday, uh, there's one passage that always sticks out in my mind from this day. And uh, it's not Psalm 33, though that will be where we are for our message today. So if you want to turn over in your Bible to that passage, you can. But the thought of this psalm goes right in line with Palm Sunday and with this truth that, that we'll talk a little bit about today. Many things in life are just irresistible. Uh, we've all heard the, the phrase, like a moth to the flame, where the moth goes, man, it's so bright, it's so warm, it's so shiny, I've got to go there, and they instantly get burned up. Uh, My little sister Harmony would never be able to resist a crunchy leaf in autumn. Uh, She would see a pile of leaves, and she would really, really hope that she'd jump on the leaf and that it would crunch. If it didn't crunch and it was just a soft leaf, she was always very upset with that. It's irresistible. Some would say on the topic of irresistibility that uh, I can't help falling in love with you. Uh, I think a hymn writer wrote that. Many things in life are just irresistible. We can't help it. But on this Palm Sunday, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, there was something irresistible to the disciples of Jesus that we're going to look at today. Luke 22, verses 37 through 40 say, When Jesus was come nigh, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They couldn't help but praise God. But some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And Jesus answered them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. All of creation, nature itself, and especially the men and women, boys and girls that God has made in his own image, our most natural state, the song we sang this morning, Christ be magnified, when every creature finds its inmost melody, And every human heart, its native cry. We were created to praise the Lord, to cry out to him. And in Psalm 33, the songwriter expresses the same sentiment of praise to the Lord that can't be helped. In fact, the author lists over 18 specific reasons that God should be praised and at least six specific ways that God should be praised. Uh, If we were to just dive deep into all of the verses of Psalm 33, uh, Pastor jokes sometimes we'll we'll be here for, you know, till one o'clock, till three o'clock. We would legitimately be here until three o'clock if we were to deep dive into everything in this passage. But it is such a worthwhile study to see what praise to our God is and entails. And in this passage, there can, as we do just a brief read-through, there can be an assumption of, okay, I guess God wants me to sing. 
And sometimes we kind of cap it at singing is praise. Even the verses that we read in our opening reading from Psalm 33 this morning, we can think, okay, God wants me to sing. God wants me to make music. Great. But as we'll dive into the passage this morning, it's way more than that. Praising God involves every aspect of our being, every aspect of our emotions, every aspect of our words and our efforts and our energies. And I I hope and pray that as a result of looking at this passage this morning, that we would have a heart that would say, God, I want to praise you with all of me. I want to be like the disciples, like the rocks that can't help but cry out about how great and how powerful our God is. Let's pray, and we'll dive into the passage for this morning. Dear Lord, we want to pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I want to pray that uh, you would help me as uh, I preach, that uh, God, I would just clearly communicate what you've spoken to me about. And Lord, we ask that as a result of today, we would not ever think about praising you in a half-hearted way or in a partial way, but that we would be fully devoted to giving you everything that you deserve. We love you, God. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. So today, we've only got two main points. And the first point is from verses 4 through 22. Uh, If you're looking in your Bible, this is a large segment. This is a psalm that's tied right in with Psalm 32 before it. That's talking about the rejoicing that happens when our sins are forgiven. And this psalm leads right out of that. And it gives 18 verses long this grandiose declaration of all of the reasons that God should be praised. And I'm starting here in verses 4 through 22 because we'll we'll look at how we should praise or what praise looks like in the life of a believer but it would feel off to not give you all of the incredible reasons that God is worthy of our praise. So we won't be diving deep into these verses, but in just kind of a short overview, we'll see that God should be praised for every reason. You can kind of look at the verses as we uh, speak over these, but we see that he is the speaking Lord that God is the one who has spoken, that his declarations are true. And because of that, uh, we can praise him. There are so many gods that people worship that have never spoken to their people. Especially during these days, you would have all of these idols that people would craft out of stone and out of wood that would just sit there. And there was never any word from wood god one or stone god two. There was never anything from them. And even the priests of the pagan religions would have this worship that they would communicate to people. The priests would communicate to people what the gods wanted, but it never came from the gods themselves. This was so unlike the God of Israel. And uh, these verses are, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as in a heap. He lays up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God should be praised because he is the speaking Lord. He spoke to Israel in the past. He spoke to us through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. He's spoken to us through his word that we're able to hold and read and listen to and know exactly what God thinks of us, know exactly what his plans are, know what his direction is for our lives. He is the speaking Lord, and so we should praise him because he is the only God that has ever communicated his truth to us. Not only is he the speaking Lord, but he is the sovereign Lord. Verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught or to nothing. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. In these verses, the psalmist writes that God is the one who is sovereign over all the nations. And even in times of trouble, like we saw in the book of Judges a couple years ago, even when God brings judgment to his people to correct them and to bring them back into a right relationship with him, God works all of the bad, even the bad that nations do, for his good and for his glory. Sometimes as Christians, we can uh, shy away from some of the books of the prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and then all of the minor prophets. We can kind of shy away from those books, but they communicate so clearly that sometimes God will use even wicked nations like a Babylon or an Assyria to bring his children back to a recognition that God is the only true Lord and that they should worship him. And even today, when there are nations that are warring, and even sometimes when we can be concerned about our own nation, we can rest secure in the fact that God is sovereign and he is working all things for his glory and for our good. And so we can praise God because he is the sovereign Lord. We can also praise him because he is the seeing Lord. Verses 13 through 17. The Lord looks from heaven. He beholds all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation or his dwelling place, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts alike. He considers all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain or an empty thing for safety. Neither shall he, the horse, deliver any by his great strength. God is the one that sees each and every heart. Not only did he create the world, not only has he given his word, not only does he judge the affairs of men and work on a kingdom scale all across the earth, but he also sees each and every one of you. And sometimes we can feel drastically alone in this life. And we feel like no one sees how we're feeling. No one sees our hurt. No one understands what we're going through. And maybe if we tried to describe it to someone else, they just wouldn't get it. 
But let it comfort you this morning that God sees your heart, that God knows you, he loves you, and he sees each and every aspect of your life and your heart. And verses uh, 16 and 17 there where it talks about Kings aren't saved because of incredible armies and a a horse is not going to, in this time, the the cavalry is not going to be the thing that saves a nation. The implication is God is. God is the one that will bring you through this life's tribulations and troubles, the heartaches, the frustrations that you're going through. You can rest assured knowing that the Lord sees you. Uh, one of our missionary friends uh, named their son Elroy, which is from the Hebrew words, the God who sees. And man, I love that truth that God is the seeing Lord. Not only that, but he is the saving Lord. In verses 18 through 22, behold, the eye of the Lord is on them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. In these verses, The psalmist is giving all of these reasons, 18 verses long, of these are all the reasons why you should praise the Lord. Not only that, but even in verses just four and five, he gives some more reasons. God should be praised for his declarations, his accomplishments, his trustworthiness, his righteousness, his justice, his unfailing love. There is no reason for us not to praise God. Even in our hardships and in our heartaches, we can even see from the story of Job that heartaches are not the end of our story. If we are still here, God is not done with us. And if you are still here, even in a time of hurting and heartbreak, realize that God is going to use that for your good And for his glory, that's what he promises in Romans 8.28. And in Romans 8.29, he gives this better hope of our good means that we are going to be conformed or we will be shaped into the image of Christ. Think of the kindest person that you've ever met. The the happiest, the most joy-filled person you've ever met. Their happiness, their joy, their their love, the, the peace that they have is only an infinite fraction of how loving, of how joyful, of how peaceful our Savior is. It's called the fruit of the Spirit because it's what naturally flows out of our God. Our God is love. Our God is the fountain of joy. And so as we are conformed to the image of Christ, we can rejoice knowing that we are going to be made more like Jesus, that his fruit will come out of us. And it's not this horrible squeezing in our life that's going to suck all of our joy away. Instead, it is God placing in us his own very attributes through his Holy Spirit, that he is conforming us to the image of Christ, and that makes this life worth living. So God should be praised for every reason. 
We see that in, in verses 4 through 22. But we're, we're, where we are going to be spending most of our time this morning is in verses 1 through 3. Because God can be praised for every reason and should be, God should be praised in every way. These verses say, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely or beautiful for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. On first glance, uh, we'd say, Okay, rejoice in the Lord. Great. Praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. I don't play harp. Cross that off the list. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. I don't know what a psaltery is. I don't own any instruments with ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. I only like the old stuff. I'm crossing that one off. Play skillfully with a loud noise. I can do the loud noise part, but I'm not so sure about the skillfully. We can look at this list and go, okay, I can just ignore nine-tenths of that. But there are six commands in here that we're going to look at that are so vital and uh, applicable to every single one of us. Let's dive in. Verse one, have meaningful, enthusiastic enjoyment in God. Verse one says, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. This word rejoice is the Hebrew word renah, which is to shout or to cry out for joy. This isn't just, woo. <laughs> Yay, God. This is a shout. Yeah, I, I'm not confident enough in this microphone thing to actually shout. Whenever a pastor does it, there's a nice little compressor thing that makes it so our ears don't destroy, and I don't think I have that. There is a shouting out for joy. When you shout because you're excited about something, it is something you have genuine, enthusiastic enjoyment for. Uh, we've mentioned the, the Super Bowl a couple of times, and, and my dad is a huge Broncos fan as his pastor, and uh, they, I can remember so many times in my childhood, both for good and for bad, when my dad would shout out, uh, for the Broncos, sometimes it was because something really good happened, and sometimes it was because something really bad happened. But he shouted because there was this enthusiasm about the, the content, about what was happening. And the command from this passage is to rejoice, to shout out in the Lord. And this is because we are meant to have enjoyment in our God. We are supposed to be enthusiastic. Are you enthusiastic about the Lord in your life? You go, ah, what's there really to get excited about? You know, maybe it's just a story. Maybe it's just something I do on, on Sunday mornings. Dive into the word. Dive into the incredible story of how much God loves you and how much that he's given for you. And I'd be shocked if joy and enthusiasm and an amazement at God isn't what comes out. If you do not find your joy and satisfaction in the God who made you, died for you, adopted you, gifted you, who intercedes for you, and who is coming back for you, what could possibly give you better joy? 
a single paycheck is never going to give you the joy of knowing that you are secure for all eternity, that the God of heaven loves you, that God has given you his word so that you would have comfort, that you would be able to comfort others, that there would be joy in your life. All of these things come from enjoyment in God. One writer said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So the command of verse one to rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, what will you do this week to intentionally delight in God? The command is to find enjoyment in God, to have it be meaningful and enthusiastic. So what can you do this week to intentionally delight in God? But not only are we supposed to have meaningful, enthusiastic enjoyment in God, but we are to sing to God personally. Verse 1 says that praise is comely or beautiful for the upright. And in this passage, the word praise is used several different times. And there's some different Hebrew words underneath all of those different words. And, and this specific one is the word tehillah. And it's to praise with a song, to praise with spontaneity. And the book of Psalms in Hebrew is called the Tehillim, which is the collection of Israel's songs of worship to the Lord. And the thing with this word of a Tehillah that we're supposed to have this in our life is that it comes from the heart. This was something that Maybe you would do it with some others. We can even see in Psalm 22, 3, where it says, Thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises, the Tehillah of Israel. That God comes down and lives in the praises that we give him. But in these praises, it has to come from our very souls. It can be easy to come on a Sunday morning and to sing out maybe on a I Surrender All or Christ Be Magnified and, and maybe to sing with some other people. But in your own time alone with the Lord, maybe reading his word, maybe in prayer, maybe just driving to work on a given day, do you ever take time to personally sing to God from the heart? And maybe it might not be something that's out loud, but from your heart, do you have the position that would say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you glory inside. Oftentimes for us, it can be a show if we only sing to God on a Sunday or if we only intentionally think about Jesus being magnified on a Sunday. But it would be such a worthy praise of our God if Tomorrow morning, even when someone cuts us off in traffic, that we would still have a heart that would say, God, I, I want to think about praising you. I want to think about giving you glory. In the latter half of this phrase, praise is comely, it's beautiful, it's befitting to the upright. One pastor said it this way, God has an eye to things which are becoming. When saints wear their coral robes, they look fair in the Lord's sight. A harp suits a blood-washed hand. 
No jewel is more ornamental to a holy face than sacred praise. Praise is not comely from unpardoned professional singers. It is like a jewel of gold in a swine's snout. Crooked hearts make crooked music, but the upright are the Lord's delight. Praise is the dress or the clothing of saints of heaven. It is appropriate that they should fit it on below. It is beautifying to the people of God to sing the praises, the tehillah, the songs from the heart to God. So will you commit to sing to God in th- this week in your time alone with him? It doesn't necessarily have to be out loud. You can read over and over again, even in the New Testament, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. But will you have a heart that says, I'm going to think about praising God. I'm going to think about glorifying my Savior. So we see, have enjoyment in God, sing to God personally. But then in verse 2, show gratitude to God by cultivating his gifts. This verse says, praise the Lord with harp. This word praise is the word yada. Can you say yada? Not yada, yada. This word is to praise with outstretched hand, to praise with gratitude. Uh, This word is also sometimes used to throw a stone, uh, sometimes to shoot a bow and arrow. It's it's to shoot out. It's with excitement. Uh, One pastor that I was reading uh, described the experience of seeing the Cubs win the World Series for the first time in, does anyone remember the very long time, a little longer than I've been alive. And the excitement of being in the city with thousands of people, when they found out that they won, no one had to say, okay, everyone, uh, you need to yell out really loud and you need to throw your hands up and it needs to be this high. It is a natural expression for mankind when we're excited about something, uh, to throw off our hands. Even my little son uh, will sometimes, normally, uh, he'll, he'll do some very mundane thing, like uh, he'll say his uncle's name, Sam, or he'll say his grandmother's name, Nanya, and then he will clap for himself <laughs> and do this, and he expects us to do the same for his action, to show gratitude. This is the natural expression of the human heart. But so often when we come uh, even to church in our own private time with the Lord even, we can just go, great, all right, I've got my chapter, I've got my verse, I've got my three chapters for the day, great. We should have praise to the Lord. We should have gratitude. And maybe sometimes that does look like shooting out the hands that we would throw our hands up and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you that you are in control. Sometimes it's a heart of gratitude that we would have. And the interesting thing about this verse, verse two, is where it says, praise the Lord with harp. That we are to show gratitude, we're to yadah, we're, we're to shoot out, with a harp, and like many of you, 
I don't play the harp. But the point is that God has given people a gift that he expects us to cultivate, to use in gratitude to him. Much like God gave a specific person a a harp to play and the ability to play it, and he expects them to show their gratitude through it, God has given each of us gifts and abilities that he expects us to use in gratitude to him. What gift has God given you during this season of your life that he wants you to use for others? So often we can, we can hoard our gifts. And Pastor talked about this uh, even a couple times in our First Corinthians series, that our gifts, the things that God has equipped us with, were never meant to just be kept for us or for our own benefit. They're meant to be used for the benefit of others. And I can think about so many different people in our congregation that, that use their gifts in ways that I could never. I think about all of you that can cook, and my wife would attest, the last time I tried to make mac and cheese, I did like four times the amount of milk, and it all went horribly wrong. But some of you that can cook, and you use your gifts to help others, maybe those that have gone through surgeries, or those that just had babies, or uh, maybe for a church event or something, to be able to feed people. And you are using your gift, you're cultivating your gift, and you're using it to praise God. For some of you, it's something that you can do to be kind to others and to show them God's love. And through doing that, you are cultivating the gift that God has given you. Some of you are extroverts and God can use your exuberance and uh, craziness to be able to connect with other people. And that is a way that you are able to yada, that you are able to show gratitude to God for what he's done for you for the gifting that he has given into your life. So show gratitude to God by cultivating his gifts. Next, praise God by allowing his music to minister to you. Verse two says, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of 10 strings. Don't you know that music is an incredibly powerful thing. If you've ever tried to watch a movie before, and there's some YouTube videos and stuff you can watch online that have movies without the music, all of a sudden, The Lord of the Rings becomes a little bit less of an incredible epic story and becomes, this is a lot of landscape footage. (laughs) A horror movie becomes a lot less scary, and you go... Why was I ever scared of this? A romance movie or a comedy becomes a lot less funny or a lot less sweet and more, this is really cheesy. (laughs) Music is the soundtrack to our lives. Uh, If you've ever gone to a wedding, music can make the entire thing so much more joyful. If you've ever been to a funeral, you know the, the impact of an incredible song and how it can remind you of of a loved one, or of the life that they lived, or of the God that they serve. For many of us, we like our music. 
We like specific genres. We like specific artists. And, and that's what we really enjoy. My wife would tell you, uh, I don't necessarily always do the greatest with what I normally term honky-tonk music. Uh, and I mean that specifically in like a 1920s to 1950s uh, Southern American gospel music. My dad loves it. I love on occasion listening to it. But the, the command from this passage is that we would allow God's music to work in our hearts. And sometimes that can be a struggle for us. We would go, okay, I, I can worship with this music. Uh, if it's, you know, so-and-so singing and they've got these instruments and there's this much lighting, man, I, I can worship with that. Or if it's this person singing and they've only got a banjo and there's like a tiki lamp in the corner, I can't worship with that. And oftentimes we are worshiping a scenario or a setup rather than God. And this is a very convicting thought for me even as I work with the music so often that I don't try and worship, okay, everything went well today. I hit all my chords. I hit all my notes. My voice didn't crack like it did last Sunday in practice. That was awkward. Yes, if I did everything perfect, I worshiped today and worship was great. When that's not how the Bible speaks of worship. Worship is our response to God because of his truth being presented. So whether it's in a honky-tonk style of maybe the old hymn, Glorious Day, one day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when... If it's that or if it's the, the sweeping broad version, oh, glorious day, whether it's either one of those, I can commit to say, God, if your truth is being presented, I choose to worship. I'm not going to worship my preferences. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship what your truth says about you. We can't all play instruments, you know, the verse specifically saying, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of 10 strings. We can't all play instruments, but we can all allow God to use his music to speak to us. And man, sometimes, especially, you know, if it's, it's, if it's been a long season and I'm going, man, this song's really hard. There's a lot of chords. My musicians would tell you heaven came down tends to be one of those ones really hard to do. And I go, ah, oh. but the truth of that song is so incredible that Jesus came down for us and he loves us. I have to make the choice, make the decision. God, I'm going to allow your truth and your music to speak into my life. Then in verse 3, we see our next point, create fresh expressions of glory to God. Psalm 33.3 says, sing unto him a new song. And this word new is to make anew, to restore. How many of you in here have ever written a song? Didn't you know 
think I might have seen it. Okay. How many of you play an instrument? Okay, not, not a ton of us. And how many of us have ever written a poem? Okay, a few of us in here. So for many of us, we, we see this line in here and we go, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? But the point of this is that we would restore or we would make anew because of what God is doing in our lives. We would make fresh expressions of glory to God. Now, by raise of hands, only a couple of us have ever written poems. Only a couple of us even play instruments. So making a song isn't attainable to the vast majority of us. But each one of us have been ministered to by God over the past six months. We have seen God work in our hearts, even through hard times. We have seen him be powerful. We have seen him answer prayer. We have seen him give us grace and comfort. What are you doing to memorialize or remember what God is doing? The children of Israel did this often whenever they would uh, maybe meet with God or when God would do something great in their life, they would make an altar to remember what God had done. They would make a memorial. They would set up a bunch of stones. Uh, you can see even Jacob did this when God appeared to him in the dream. And uh, we remember Jacob's ladder and they set up all of the stones to remember that God had met with him. Later, uh, when they crossed the Jordan with the children of Israel, they built up this pile of stones. Uh, there's even places like Gilgal and others where they remembered God did something incredible for us here and we're going to remember it. What was your last altar moment? When you saw God work and made a memorial of what he did. A song, maybe for some of you, a, a post, even on social media. I'm reminded over and over and over again, uh, even sometimes on, on Facebook, when it pulls up memories from years gone by. And, and I can look back and, and remember a kid that I prayed with that accepted Jesus when I was in college. Or even a little bit further back when the very first kid I ever led to the Lord when I was a senior in high school. Or I can remember Easter a couple of years ago when people got saved. Or I can look back and remember when someone got baptized. Even something as simple as a post can be a reminder of what God has done. Maybe it might be something like a journal entry of if you keep a journal or a diary, it might be a great thing for you to go back through and remember times that God answered prayers, that God came through in incredible ways that you never thought he could, that he healed something that you thought could never be healed. Maybe it's even just a highlight in your Bible of a time that God spoke to you through a verse. It is an incredible thing for all of us to set memorials to God has done this incredible thing in my life and it might even be something small that only I know about, but I'm going to choose to remember what God is doing. God didn't just work in the past, and so only the memorials of the past will never suffice because God is continuing to do new things and incredible things every single day. And so because of that, 
we are commanded and exhorted to make fresh memorials and remembrances of what he is doing. But the specific application of this verse, the most direct one, is that we are to sing a new song. And this isn't a one-time occurrence in the word of God. I believe it's six or seven different times, both in Psalms and in Revelation. The encouragement to the people of God is to sing a new song. One pastor said it this way, singing for singing's sake is worth nothing. We must carry our tribute to the king and not cast it to the winds. Our faculties should be exercised when we are magnifying the Lord so as not to run in an old groove without a thought. We ought to make every hymn of praise a new song. To keep up the freshness of worship is a great thing, and in private it is indispensable. Let us not present old worn out praise, but put life and soul and heart into every song, since we have new mercies every day and see new beauties in the work and word of our Lord. So sometimes people would ask, why, why do we do new songs? Or sometimes, you know, maybe with a glorious day living, he loved me, or with a Jesus firm foundation, why, why do we put new music to it? The answer is in obedience to God's word, that because his works and his worship is ever new, that we have a duty as Christians to remember and refresh that we would not fall into a rut uh, or an old groove, as Spurgeon put it, but that we would have a fresh remembrance, that our, our faculties, our, our mind would be engaged. And sometimes it is maybe a new tune to a song or or maybe some different instrumentation that would remind us again of an old truth that we've known, but that it makes it new. It restores it. And we remember again the incredible truths of our God. One pastor put it this way. Now, there is a reason for different kinds of music. The main reason is that God is infinitely varied in his beauty, and he relates to us in profoundly and wonderfully different ways. If you experience God in the death of your four daughters and your wife, in the sinking of a ship, you may write, it is well with my soul. If you are overwhelmed with the truth of the incarnation at Christmas time, you may write, joy to the world. If God meets you simply and quietly in your prayer closet, you may write, Father, I adore you and I lay my life before you. If you are stunned at the marvel that you are saved, you may write, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If you're a Sunday school teacher longing to teach your students profound things in simple ways, you may write, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God meets us in high and holy ways. He meets us in lowly and humble ways. He meets us in thunderously glorious ways. He meets us in quiet, intimate ways. He meets us in complex ways, in simple ways, furious ways, and merciful ways. There are aspects of God's character and relation to us that can only be expressed with high and fine expressions of music like Handel's Messiah. And there are aspects of God's character and relation to us that can only be expressed with more common and folk-like kinds of music like Amazing Grace or Just a Closer Walk with Thee or the B-I-V-L-E. In whatever circumstance we're in, God is continually working and ministering to us. 
making his truth fresh in our lives and our hearts, showing his new morning mercies. So what are you doing to remember it? What fresh expressions of glory to God are you creating in your life? Then lastly, we see give your best to God. Verse three says this, play skillfully with a loud noise. This word skillfully is to be pleasing or agreeable, to do well. While specifically about music, this next quote goes along with every single area of our life. We've been talking the entire way through that everything we do, our our attitude, what we do with the gifts that God has given us, what we do in our private worship, how we think about God and how we enjoy him, all of it plays into this point. It is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly or sloppy manner. He deserves the best we have. The sweetest tunes and the sweetest voices with the sweetest words are all too little for the Lord our God. Let us not offer him limping rhymes set to harsh tunes and growled out by discordant voices. Man, it it would probably be a little bit rough if on a Sunday morning, uh, all of the musicians decided, man, I'm just gonna not put it in today. You get amazing grace, how sweet. No one wants that. That's not going to glorify the Lord. It's not done skillfully. It's not giving of our best to God. But oftentimes in our everyday Christian life, that's what we give God. In the morning, we would wake up and how we treat God's children, whether it be brother, sister, friend, family member, how we treat them is giving less than our best to God. That maybe how we talk to them is a little bit like going, we're giving that to the Lord in our treatment of others. Maybe in how we work and our testimony among others where we're not being careful and guarding it and giving our best testimony for the Lord, but instead we're not quite saying the things that we should, or maybe we're laughing at something that isn't appropriate or or godly to laugh at. And that would be something that's giving less than our best to God. Why would we give our best to God? He should be praised for every reason. He has every reason to be praised. So give your best to him. This isn't a thing of, okay, man, I've I've just got to be 110% all the time doing my best. Again, this is as always a reliance on the Holy Spirit that would say, Lord, I commit to you that I'm not going to disregard your voice today. But when you tell me, hey, Say something kind to your wife. Hey, tell this person that God loves them or invite them to Easter Sunday at 1030 next week at Moses Lake Baptist Church. That we would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit every day. That we wouldn't ignore him or push him off. But as we listen to his voice, that is giving of our best to God.
1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Will you praise God this week by doing his work wholeheartedly? You'd say, God, no matter what situation I'm in, if I'm at church, if I'm serving, if I'm communicating with a family member, if I'm working for my boss, if I'm uh, doing anything in my life, I'm going to choose to do it wholeheartedly. As Christians, we have a mission. It's twofold, glorify God and tell other people about him. In everything we do, we can choose to do that mission and that work half-heartedly or quarter-heartedly, or we can choose to say, God, you're worth it. You are worth my praise, and so I'm going to give of my best to you. These points once more are have meaningful, enthusiastic enjoyment in God. That thought of rejoicing, of shouting out, of having meaningful praise and enjoyment in God. Sing to God personally. It might not be out loud, but God is worthy of our praise each and every day in our hearts, not just when we're in front of other people. Show gratitude by, to God by cultivating his gifts. That shooting out of the hands of, I'm going to use what you've given me, in that illustration, your hands, I'm going to use what you've given me to praise you. God has given you gifts. How are you using them to praise him? Praise God by allowing his music to minister to you. For so many of us, we can sometimes squelch that or go, I don't like that as much. But will we choose to allow God's music to minister to us? Will we create fresh expressions or memorials of glory to God? Because he's constantly working in our lives. Are we going to remember it? And then give of our best to God. God should be praised by our enjoyment of him, our personal worship, our gratitude, our submission to his songs, our memorials of his works and our wholehearted devotion. Will you choose to praise God this week. Not all of us can play an instrument. I don't know a single person in here with a psaltery or an instrument of 10 strings or a harp, but every single one of us can choose this week, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you with how I live. I'm going to praise you with how I think about you. I'm going to praise you by how I interact with other people, by how I use the gifts and the abilities that you've given to me. I'm going to choose to praise you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.